You're listening to Friendlier, a podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about fostering independence in our kids. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? I want to share about a wonderful gift that my spouse got me. So we have a friend, Sean Gunston, who was a biology major with Andrew and me at Hendricks. He graduated in Andrew's year. Mm-hmm. And he played Frisbee with all of us. And I did not know that he was an artist. I didn't know this either. Good. I don't feel quite as silly. I didn't know if I like missed it before. I think it's something he's gotten into in the many years since we graduated. But he is a very talented watercolor painter and paints a lot of landscapes. And so Andrew commissioned him to paint a scene of downtown Carborough. We will link to it on Sean's Instagram so you can see. And gave it to me as a belated Mother's Day gift. I love it. I cried and cried. It's just this really beautiful, special thing of this very talented person who we love and know. And then this Mm -hmm. place that was so special to us. And then the scene that Andrew had in paint is the Rainbow Crosswalk in Carborough and our food co-op on one side and restaurants on the other. It's just so special. And it's so beautiful. It's hanging in our living room. I look at it every day. I love it so much. I'm so glad you have that. Me too. What's new with you, friend? We have just been loving being outside. I think this is a theme for many people this pandemic, that the safest way to be out of your home is to be in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And then we've had a lovely, mild summer where it actually hasn't felt like torture up to this point to (laughs) not have the pool, which is a surprise. And just loving the small pieces of nature that are close to our home. But then also we've been visiting a friend who lives outside of town and she has several acres and a creek. We were just there this morning and the kids were catching crawdads and minnows and just going out and playing for a few hours while I got to sit socially distant from my friend and catch up. I am loving being outside myself, watching my kids be outside, going camping together. Just everything about it feels like a win. Mm -hmm. Now let's share something we've been reading. What's your latest read? I want to give my review of The Air Affair. Mm -hmm. This is by request from listener Misty, so thank you for that. This book is by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan and is the sequel to friendlier favorite, The Royal We. We are brought into the story after Bex, an American, and Nick, heir to the British throne, have gotten married officially, and then they've kind of escaped to Scotland to ignore their responsibilities and live in relative anonymity for a while. Mm -hmm. So that's the beginning of the book. And then life unfolds from there. They come back to London. There's tons more drama, intrigue. Dealing with the press, the pressure of being newly married in the limelight, et cetera, et cetera. I love these characters. I really love the complexity of the relationships. So this is clearly a targeted chiclet type book, mm-hmm. but it feels like more than that to me at the same time as having all the drama and the royalty and the slightly sexy parts and stuff. There's also this depth of relationships that I really loved. I loved what happens between Bex and more senior members of the royal family. 
I love what happens in her twin sister Lacey's storyline. There were other things that I won't talk about because feels like spoilers, but there was Mm -hmm. a good amount of depth here in terms of things people can experience in a marriage. And it was also a wild ride. So yes, I think as soon as I finished it, I texted you and just said that book was a ride. (laughs) It was. (laughs) It covers many years and so much happens Mm -hmm. in that time span and things that I was just not expecting at all. But I also really enjoyed it. It's just something you can get lost in. And it's long enough that you can continue the enjoyment, Mm -hmm. but not so long that it felt like too much. Yeah, that's a great point. I think often with shorter romance novels, it wraps up so soon. There's the classic Mm -hmm. romance arc of coming together, going apart, and coming together again. Right. There's much more to this book. So I would definitely recommend it. And I listened to it on audiobook because that's how I enjoyed The Royal We initially as well. And so I can recommend that version too. Nice. And I would be very curious to hear from listeners that have also read it what you thought about the sequel and how it lived up to the first one. Definitely. What have you been reading, Sarah? Earlier this summer, I read All the Rage, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership by Darcy Lockman. This is a nonfiction book, and it's one of those that interweaves her personal experience in parenting and her marriage with a lot of research. I loved how much there was to think about and topics that I've thought about before, but looking at it from a few steps back and seeing the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. She highlighted a lot of things that I've experienced in my relationship and that we've experienced in parenting, but placed it in that context that made me think about it in a new way. And I always appreciate when a book can do that. One of the things that really stuck out to me was talking about these evolved feminist men that believe in equality in theory, but then once kids come into the equation, it's like, oh, patriarchy might not be so bad because (laughs) patriarchy really benefits men. And that is something that I will think about for a long time because it wasn't pointing that out as a selective thing, but how pervasive Mm. that is Mm -hmm. and how insidious the patriarchy is, even in marriages where both parties want to achieve equality. Yeah. I will say that it was a pretty slow book for me. I read it over the course of several weeks Mm. and would read a little bit and then leave it and come back to it. It's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it wasn't something that I blazed through. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely recommend this for anyone with kids or considering having kids. I wish I had read something like this before we had our kids. I'm not sure that it would have changed any of our decisions, but I do think it would have changed the conversations we had in a beneficial way. Hmm. And Neil actually read this book also. So we've been having a lot of those conversations now. And that has also been good. Nice. Our topic for today is about fostering independence in our kids. Let's start by sharing if you have any kind of overarching philosophy around independence and kids. Basically, we expect our children to be capable of a lot of things. And we try to be ready to recognize growth because of how fast things change with children. I love how you included that because one thing that I've really noticed with our kids is how much E is capable at an age that we weren't expecting the same thing from HP. Mm. 
And that's making me realize we should have expected more from him. Because Mm. if she is doing this at the age of four, could he have been doing that at age four also? But we just Mm. didn't have that expectation. Interesting. In general, we try to believe that they can do something and then adjust our expectations as necessary. I also try and keep in mind the big picture of things that are hard in the moment, that it's not always easy to give our kids independence, both in terms of the time investment from the parents and the frustration level of kids and working through all of that, Mm -hmm. but that we want them to be capable adults when they leave our home. And to keep that in mind rather than what is going to get us through the next 10 minutes or one hour. Yeah, that long game is no joke, I feel like. (laughs) And that is absolutely an aspiration that I have. Uh I find it very hard to execute, (laughs) as we will discuss. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that all of these things are where we are in theory, And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the implementation or execution can vary widely, depending on a lot of (laughs) factors. (laughs) Absolutely. That is the perfect disclaimer for this episode. (laughs) I thought we could start by talking about different age groups and what we learned about independence and our kids at that time. So let's start with infants and toddlers. So with infants and toddlers, our strategy focuses on talking to them like whole people from the very beginning. Yes. In a similar vein, we didn't do a lot of sitting our kids up or helping them stand or walk, Mm -hmm. which I think has helped them be very wary of their own physical capacity. This is something that's so interesting between my two kids because Plum took her time to walk, even to the point where we spoke to an evaluator about whether she needed an evaluation for early intervention type services. Mm Mm-hmm. She ended up walking right before the cutoff of when we would have gone down that road. And Pepper is not even to that age where she started walking yet. And that kid can run and like jump on the trampoline and stuff. So it's just really different. And I think it's a great example of really paying attention to what they're capable of in the moment Mm -hmm. and allowing them to be the fullness of who they are regardless of what it is. I mean, that's an example from the physical realm, but I think there are lots of things like that. Paying attention really serves us well, especially with those younger ages. Yes. And in that same physical realm, one thing we tried to do is when we were at the playground at those young ages is not help them Mm -hmm. do almost anything. If they couldn't climb the ladder, then you can't climb the ladder. You can keep working on that and trying, and eventually you'll be able to, but there's no need to conquer everything right off the bat. And then you have the capability to be up higher and trusting your body more and knowing where you are in space Mm -hmm. and knowing what your limitations are. Yeah, that's something we did with our kids too. And I did a lot of what people in the rye parenting circles call sports casting, mm-hmm. where Plumber Pepper is trying to do a thing. They are clearly getting frustrated. And I'm saying, wow, you are working really hard. It is so hard to get your foot up that high, isn't it? And watching and empathizing, but not doing it for them. Because mm-hmm. even as babies, the clear pride that they have in achieving things is so very rewarding, I think, for them. But also for us as parents. That's another piece of that, letting them be who they are 
without yes. trying to push them any one direction. I have also loved that about Rye, and you are the one who pointed me in this direction. And for folks who may not have heard of it, it stands for Resources for Infant Educarers. <laughs> exactly. And it's R-I-E. And so much of that is about treating kids with respect from a young age, that they don't grow up to become people, that they are people from the moment they're born. Mm -hmm. And letting it be okay for them to be frustrated. And I think having someone say that really gave me permission to say, like, experiencing frustration is useful and helpful for kids to work through. Because as a parent, it is really intuitive to want to swoop in and help them and fix whatever it is, mm -hmm. as opposed to letting them experience that negative emotion and figure out how to come out on the other side of it. Yes. And that applies to all ages, but I think it starts even that young when it's very easy for adults to fix the problems and the problems get much harder to fix as they age. So having that experience with frustration is good for kids to be able to draw on mm -hmm. as well. This is sort of an aside because it's like a benefit that I think comes with this philosophy, but I feel like it takes pressure off the parents. Mm-hmm. If you have a new baby and they're a baby who just cries a lot, there's so much instinct to try fix it, fix it, fix it. But some babies just cry more than others. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another thing I've noticed in my kids. Plum hardly ever cried. Pepper came out screaming. <laughs> yes. He just expresses his emotions like that. And so we try to do that same thing of just empathizing, meeting his needs. But then when they're all met, just empathizing that he's having a really big feeling. And it's really nice to feel the pressure off of us to fix it. Agreed. The other thing we tried to do was make sure that there were spaces in our house where they could be left alone, even from a very young age. So I could do things like go take a shower without worrying mm -hmm. about whether they were going to get into something that they shouldn't or whether they could be hurt in that space. And that created space for me to be my own person mm -hmm. as well and to not feel that every single waking moment I had to have eyes on my child and then also gave them a chance to be. And I connect with that so strongly as an introvert and as a parent of introverts that I don't think that's a bad thing for my kids to be in a room exploring on their own. Yeah. In fact, I think it's highly beneficial <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> yes. The next stage we're going to talk about is preschool. How has independence looked for your kids as preschoolers? Again, we expect a lot of them when it comes to everything. That's personal care, chores, keeping track of belongings. I think I've talked about this before on the pod, but there's this idea of graciousness around parenting that mm. I try to embody with sometimes more success than other times. Mm -hmm. But the idea is to graciously assist if your kid really does not seem capable of doing something on their own, whether that's for an actual reason of physical capacity or if they're really just not feeling it because it's been a really long day and they're tired and thirsty, right. that you just graciously do it for them and trust that by modeling this graciousness, they will also become gracious individuals and eventually do things for themselves. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of trust of the process in there that sometimes goes better or worse for me. But I do love really celebrating with them when they figure something out and are proud 
The other thing that we do is to encourage independent interests at this age. One example is that I am not about reading books about Frozen or Minions. Amen. (laughs) Which are movies that Plum has watched recently with Andrew. Mm -hmm. And she's really interested in them. And she wants to talk about them and listen to the music all the time and read books about them. Like, okay, fine. We can get some books from the library, but let's get some books that have a CD with them Mm -hmm. so that I am not responsible. I make that boundary ahead of time. And therefore, I'm encouraging her to cultivate her own independent interests. Win-win. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) What about preschoolers in your family? Yes. So for reference, E just aged out of the preschool age. She is one month away from being six when this airs and just started kindergarten. So we are just on the outer edge of the preschool time. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, trying to cultivate dressing themselves, clearing their own plate, these small ways to be contributing to the family system that they can feel proud of and that they're learning skills. I think there are areas where this went really well and some (laughs) where it has been hard not to default to the easier option and this is faster if we get it done and that's something that we are continually working on as a family unit. Mm -hmm. In another realm around independence, one thing that I have worked really hard to do is to let go of the need to know everything about what's happening in their lives I think I'm just a naturally curious, perhaps nosy person. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I want to hear about what their day was like at school and hear about their friends and know what's happening. And very early on, it became clear to me that I need to set a boundary there and that if they want to talk about it with me, great. And if they don't, that's also great. And that a huge benefit of going to preschool is having part of their day that is just theirs. Mm -hmm. Because up to that point, so much of their day was with a parent that Mm -hmm. already knew all these things about them. And I think that only becomes more important as they get older to give them the space to have privacy of their own ideas and relationships and problems. Not that I don't want them to share with me, but that it's important to have your own sense of self and that you're in control of information about yourself. Mm -hmm. I remember when Plum went to preschool for the first time, she was two. There was just this sense of a whole new world of Mm -hmm. her doing things that I would never hear about. Right. And she's a very chatty kid. So I heard about a lot (laughs) of it, probably more than in your family. Yes, I think so. But still there were things and things that they knew about her and things about her friends there and the things that she did that I won't know and will never know. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting, that transition. Yes. And that kids are different in different spaces and environments too. So to Mm. let go of my own assumptions about this is how my child is going to be in school, because I don't actually know how my child's going to be in school. And they are the ones who have to navigate that and figure it out and giving them that respect that They are capable and can do that Mm -hmm. without me needing to know the details. Yeah. So I'm not to this stage in my parenting yet because my kids are one in four. But talk a little bit about how you have thought about cultivating independence in school-age kids, Sarah. Recently, we've had much more focus on chores and setting up more of a routine 
not a chore chart, but just here's your responsibility in our home Mm. and here's how you're contributing. That's actually an area I'd really like to expand more because I think they are capable of much more than we are expecting of them. And Mm. I'd like to make those match a little bit better. This is also the age where they have started playing further away from us and for longer without us nearby. So this started when HP was in kindergarten. A lot of families stay after school and play on the playground and on the field nearby. At first, I was always hovering, not over where he was playing, but where I could always see where he was. Mm -hmm. And then as he went through the grades, sometimes he'd be up on the field where I couldn't see him or down on the playground when I'm on the field and letting him have that independence once I could trust that he knew where the boundaries were. Mm. More recently, that has looked like within our neighborhood, there are four yards, including ours, that have kids, and the kids have the freedom to go between those homes. Mm -hmm. Even with E being just close to six, with there being older kids in the mix too and having that multi-age experience, it still feels like a great step to be able to have that freedom to go between the houses and still know, as before, where the boundaries are. Here is your space to explore, but... There are limits to that. And I think as they continue to get older, thinking about how can we keep expanding that radius and supporting them in that. We've reached the limits of our experience in terms of the ages of our kids. But when you look out ahead, what is that next frontier of independence for your kids? I think for us, as you've mentioned, definitely chores and sort of that household family stewardship. Mm -hmm. What I have been saying to Plum lately is, You honor me and our relationship by doing this thing that I'm asking you Mm -hmm. to do, Mm -hmm. which she really responds to, I think, because she's so relationship focused right now. I don't know if that's a developmental thing or if that's specific to her personality, Mm -hmm. but it is just really effective and feels very authentic to me. It's not like, do this because I told you. It's, no, do this so that we can have this good interaction And then do this other fun thing that we want to do together. Mm -hmm. I think we are moving toward that for sure. I think that learning to read is a big frontier of independence. Yes. And Plum will be there sometime in the next couple of years. I'm really excited for that for her because that's another sort of gateway to having experiences that are just yours. And then for Pepper, I think the next big thing will be toilet learning. It's a big, huge thing. There is a lot of noise around it culturally, but I do think it's something, sort of that bodily function thing that cultivates so much pride when they get it. Yes. So I am looking forward to that for him. And he is so physically capable that I wonder if it'll happen sooner than later. I mean, I probably will Mm -hmm. jinx myself by saying that, but in any case, it will happen eventually. And I'm looking forward to that day for everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to that for you as well. I love what you said about the reading, and I think that's so true. I didn't include that in the school-age independence things, but it has been such a joy to see both kids reading, and E is really just at the point where she's reading books on her own. Mm. When we can all sit with a book and have independent reading time, it is just one of those moments that I have looked forward to for so long and Mm. is just as enjoyable as I imagined. I love it. In terms of the next steps in independence for our kids, continuing to expand that radius, as I had said, and I think part of that will be the kids learning to walk to and from school on their own when 
we go to school, whenever that may be. (laughs) And this isn't something that would start immediately, but moving toward that goal. And I think that will just, one, make my life easier of not needing to be the person dropping them off or picking them up every time. But also that sense of we can get places on our own and we can do this thing. It doesn't seem like a big deal to walk to school on your own, but I think for kids it really is. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming less of the cultural norm. Right. Which makes it a bit harder, right? Because when I was walking to and from school, it was always a group. And now that's happening at a later age or it is happening less. I'm also curious to talk to other families in the neighborhood and try and work out a group that could make that walk together because I Mm. think that is safer, especially when it's the multi-age with the older kids being able to look out for the younger kids Mm -hmm. and take on some of that responsibility. And that's one thing that I think about with a lot of these choices is there's what Neil and I are comfortable with and what we think our kids are capable of, but needing to think about What does society right now say is acceptable? And those are not always the same thing. Right. I don't want CPS called on my children because we're letting them walk to the park to play, which Mm -hmm. isn't something that's happening right now. But at some point, we live a block from the park. I would like my kids to be able to walk together to the park and play and come back. Mm -hmm. It feels like we might feel comfortable with it later because of societal expectations, not because we don't trust our kids to be able to do it. Hmm. And that feels very frustrating, but also sad that as a culture, we are trusting kids less and giving them fewer opportunities to gain that independence that we had as kids. Yeah. Let's share some fostering independence wins and fails that we've experienced so far in our parenting journey. Let's start with the wins. Plum gets dressed completely on her own most mornings. Yay. Which is awesome. And then both kids play together slash independently pretty well if I ignore them enough. A key component. Yes. (laughs) Don't act too interested if you want them to do that on their own. Yes. One of our wins is also independent play that I think even from a pretty young age, both kids could entertain themselves for a fairly extended period of time on their own. Mm -hmm. Both kids are successfully helping to set the table, clear their plates, empty the dishwasher, put away their clothes when they're on their dresser. I'm glad they can do all of that, but I don't feel like we've tried to level up in a while, that Mm. it's been a long time at a plateau. So... I'll talk about that more as we get into our fails. (laughs) My fail is the four o'clock hour every day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No one is having fun. I'm a grump. The kids are grumpy. Pepper screams and wraps his arms around my legs because he just wants to be held. Mm -hmm. I've taken to wearing him in the carrier. And an independent thing he did yesterday was pull the carrier off its storage Mm -hmm. peg and bring Mm -hmm. it to me so that I (laughs) Put him in. Yes. Great communication. Yeah, great communication. And at the same time, I would prefer to just not do that and have him and Plum figure something out to do in that pre-dinner time. We are just not there. I'm certain it's on me in terms of not setting them up for success in that four o'clock hour. But it's like you said about bedtime last episode, I think, where that 
time when everyone's freaking out is not the time to troubleshoot that problem. Yes. (laughs) So we are just making it through. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) We have a few fails. One of them (laughs) is children being responsible for their own stuff. Mm. I noticed you mentioned this in the preschool age one. That would have been a great time to really establish this. Uh, Yeah, that time came and went, and my children are still not responsible for their stuff in many ways. Things like hats are constantly missing. Nobody Mm. knows where water bottles are. Mm -hmm. Why are the shoes not in the shoe spot? No one knows. (laughs) And oftentimes, we're discovering these things right as we need to be leaving or doing something. And so I'm just wanting us to get it done. And so, of course, it's faster for me to walk around the house and find the water bottle than it is to say, think about where you left your water bottle and why don't you look for it until you can find it, (laughs) which is what I need to do more of and help them figure out here's the places where stuff goes. And if I keep it there, then I'll know where it is, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure they intellectually understand, but the execution is non-existent. Yep. And the other fail is as I had mentioned with the chores, just feeling like they can do more. And even if they are not going to tell me, yes, please, I would love more chores. I want to be more responsible. I do think that sense of contributing to the family unit is so beneficial for kids and becoming more capable humans that are able to take care of themselves. So even if the process itself is painful, We need to keep pushing on that frontier Mm. and adding responsibilities as they get older instead of stagnating with, well, this seems good enough because (laughs) as you mentioned at the top of the show, they're continually changing and able to do more. Yeah. Let's end with any resources we have to share on this topic. I would like to recommend the Visible Child Facebook group, which is a very heavily moderated group led by Robin Enzig, who also has a blog and consulting service, which we will link to in the show notes. It is so heavily moderated that there recently was a two-week period where no one except an admin was allowed to respond to questions, and then they would close Hmm. comments after that, so that what you're getting is the visible child perspective. And that perspective is a lot of what we've talked about, sort of respecting the whole person, being super Mm -hmm. gracious. When they aren't able to do things, looking to yourself as a parent to see how you are not setting up your children to succeed in what you're asking of them. Lots of Mm -hmm. talk about developmentally appropriate, lots of strategies for taking care of yourself as a parent so that you can be the parent you want to be. I love that group. I love how heavily moderated it is. And if I got in a situation ever where I felt like I could not handle a parenting challenge or answer a parenting question myself, I would absolutely do a consult with Robin, which you can pay for. Mm. She is fantastic. And she's also like not kidding around. I love the idea of a heavily moderated group because it seems like it's going to be such a better resource of not having to read all of the comments to get (laughs) to the content that you want and a much more efficient way of getting that resource. Yes. I have three books that I want to recommend. One is Free Range Kids by Lenore Skenazi. And she came into the popular consciousness when she wrote, I believe, either an article or a blog post about letting her 
child take the subway on his own. Mm. I cannot remember his exact age. I want to say 9, 10, 11, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And was dubbed America's worst mother mm. for letting her child do that. So she's done a lot of research into letting kids have more freedom and how that fits in with modern society Mm -hmm. and found her book really inspirational and fascinating. Mm. I recently listened to The Gift of Failure by Jessica Leahy, and she talks a lot specifically about school and letting kids have control and independence over their own work at school and letting Mm. them make those mistakes, work out the problem with their teacher and not having adults intervene constantly. Interesting. She's a middle school teacher, and I appreciated her talking about what are reasonable expectations at different ages for kids in Mm. terms of having that autonomy. And that's something we've really been struggling with with online school, where we're so much more a part of their school day. And because I don't have an education background, it's hard to know what is a reasonable expectation for a third grader in this realm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of room for learning for us on that front. But she also talks about chores, about independence and finding your own stuff, and how messing up and doing it wrong is really when you're able to figure it out the next time, Mm -hmm. rather than having a parent be the one who solves it for you. Nice. And then the last one is called Small Animals, Parenthood in the Age of Fear by Kim Brooks. And she talks about her experience leaving her child in the car while she ran into a store and came back out and there was a photo taken of her license plate and charges were brought against her for that. So she talks about what that was like for her and then also exploring those topics of what we used to consider okay, we don't consider okay anymore, in what ways is that good for kids, in what ways is that bad, Hmm. how are we limiting our kids when we're trying to protect them, the ways in which that backfires. Just a very interesting cultural commentary. That ends our conversation about independence, but we would love to hear from listeners about your independence wins and fails, any resources you have, or general thoughts about how we can all raise independent humans. Let's end by sharing something we've been eating lately. We have been enjoying an abundance of cucumbers from the neighbor's garden. Mm. We were watching and watering their garden while they were on vacation for two and a half weeks, and the cucumbers were coming in in abundance. HP would just pick them and eat them (laughs) straight. (laughs) He also enjoyed using a knife and the cutting board at home to cut them into slices and then having that available as a snack throughout the day. Plain cucumbers are fine, but don't bring me a ton of joy to snack on. in the quantities in which they were available at our house. So I was really enjoying eating them with a yogurt dip, very similar to a tzatziki sauce, but we just put yogurt, add some lemon juice, salt, and press some garlic into it, and then Mm. let that sit for a little bit. And I love dipping the cucumber slices into that. Feels like a great summer snack. Yum. What have you been eating? I tried making black bean burgers the other day. Mm-hmm. This is my first ever try at making a non-meat burger. I don't okay. make a meat burger either. Andrew does that in our house. So really, <laughs> it's like my first, first ever try at a burger. <laughs> yeah. 
And I did it because we had leftover beans. And when I cooked beans and rice, it didn't come out even. Mm -hmm. And no one just wanted to eat the plain beans. And everyone was refusing my offers of bean quesadillas. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, fine, I'll make you eat beans in some other format. The recipe that I tried is from sallysbakingaddiction.com, her best black bean burgers. And they were delicious. I ended up cooking them on our electric griddle and I made them small like little patties Mm -hmm. instead of big like burgers and we just ate them as patties with green beans and french fries on the side or something we dipped them in ketchup but we didn't do the whole cheese on top burger bun situation and I actually thought it was great I really love them I think probably more than everyone else in the family but everyone willingly ate them and Pepper ate them another day when he and I finished them up for lunch. So would recommend. Yeah. I've tried black bean burgers a few times, and it feels like the hardest thing is to get the texture right, that they can Mm. be really mushy. I do think the smaller patties is a great idea because there's so much more crispiness on the outside. There's less to be mushy. Totally. And I sort of mashed them down so that they would cook Mm. all the way through in the same time as they got nicely crispy on both sides. Sounds like a success. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and all of you listeners. You can find out more about everything we talked about today, including what we're reading and eating, in the show notes on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. You can also leave us a comment there or on Instagram at friendlierpodcast or email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly.